one of the things that I get to do because I regularly preach is I can go back and um, correct or um, reiterate or state more clearly. And I get to do that this morning for just a minute or two before we dive into a text which I'll read in a moment. If you've been with us in the last uh, couple of weeks, we've been considering the public ministry of Jesus Christ. And Mark begins his gospel by declaring the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And there's a mystery to that relationship. There's a mystery to understanding Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Part of the mystery is that he is fully God and fully man. Not only is it a mystery, but it's a necessity. Jesus must be both fully God and fully man. And we've been considering that in sort of two contexts. Uh, The first is when he was baptized, when he came up out of the water, the Holy Spirit came upon him as a dove. And as we described that and talked about that, we wanted to, and I think correctly, said that Jesus lived his life as a man, not in his divinity, but in the power of the Holy Spirit. In other words, the Holy Spirit led him and guided him and directed him. Uh, And secondly, we face that in his temptation. And it says clearly that uh, after he was baptized, the Spirit of God led him out into the wilderness to be tempted. And so we talked about temptation and uh, whether or not Jesus Christ could be tempted. And uh, if he could be tempted, what did that look like? And the conclusion was, uh, from my understanding of Scripture, that as a man, Jesus Christ was tempted in every way as you and I are. And he, as a man, he withstood those temptations by his confidence and his understanding of the Word of God, his constant prayer with his Father, and again with the Holy Spirit who led and guided him. And my point was simply being that you and I can live a life that God asks us to live in the power of the Spirit, and we too can fight temptation as we root our lives in the Word of God and are constant in prayer, and also as the Holy Spirit leads us and we walk in the Spirit. What I don't want to do is leave us with the impression that we will do it like Christ. What I don't want to do is leave us with the impression that if we just do it well enough, we will never fail in temptation, or we will never not please God fully. What I don't want to leave us with the impression is that somehow our salvation and our security rests in our ability to do those things. The Bible is absolutely clear that our security and our confidence is in Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone. It is not in our works. It is not in our performance. It is not in our ability to do these things. And we will fail from time to time. We will stumble from time to time. We will walk in the wrong direction from time to time. But we we do not get back on the horse by doing these things in order to once again get confidence with God. We look to Jesus Christ. He is our strength. He is our salvation. He is our hope. And so what I just want us to be reminded of, and I want you to remind yourself of, is we need to constantly preach the gospel to ourselves. To not get off track and think somehow we were saved by the gospel, But now we continue in our own abilities and in our own strengths. Those are evidence of our salvation, but they are not the means of our salvation. So I just want to encourage you as a people of God and to remind you as a people of God 
that while I do believe those are things that God has given us to walk in the steps that Jesus did, they are not the means of our confidence or our security. So we come to the text this morning, and if you have your Bible, turn to the Gospel of Mark, and I want to begin at verse 14 and go to verse 20 and <laughs> talk a little bit about then why Jesus came. After John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee, proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Passing alongside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, follow me and I will make you become fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on a little farther, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who were in their boat, mending their nets. And immediately he called them. And they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants and followed him. Father, thank you for your word. It really is a gift. It really is something that no human being could ever have devised. It is the gospel which comes from you. Father, would you open our eyes and our um, understanding uh, ever more clearly this morning to grasp why it is that Jesus came and what his message was all about. I ask this in Christ's name. Amen. Jesus came preaching. Mark tells us immediately when he came back from the wilderness, and not immediately, but at some point after John the Baptist was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee. Some of you may know John the Baptist in the Bible. John the Baptist was arrested because he had offended Herod the Tetrarch. And he had offended Herod by calling Herod out on the incestuous relationship that he had entered into by marrying his brother's wife. And so he was arrested and thrown into prison for proclaiming the truth. Where John picks up his gospel is about six months after Jesus was baptized. There had been a period of about six months that Jesus had already been preaching and going to various synagogues. Uh, he had been in uh, um, Judea. He had been in Nazareth. Um, and so about six months after the point that John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee. And that's where John picks up the ministry of Jesus as he enters into Galilee now, some six months or so after John had been arrested. And it says, simply says that Jesus came into Galilee, and he was proclaiming the gospel of God. I want to just point out a couple of things as we work our way into this text. The first is the, the, the method of Jesus. It's a tried and true method. It's God's method, and it's a method that still is to be effectually used by us today, and that is simply preaching or proclamation or declaring the good news. This is the means through which Jesus or God has ordained that the good news be broadcast. It is the primary means through which the good news is to be broadcast. You go to the book of Timothy, and Paul would say to Timothy, preach the word in season and out of season. Preach when it's popular. Preach when it isn't popular. Preach when people don't want to hear it. Preach when people do want to preach it. It doesn't matter the circumstances. What it matters is the method, and the method is preach the good news. 
This has been the method of the gospel for the last 2,000 years, and it will be until the Lord comes back again. It's not an outdated method of communicating the good news. It is God's primary way in which we preach the good news. You can read it throughout the New Testament. We're commanded to preach. We're to be eager to preach. We should preach in season and out of season, as I said. Paul in one place says, Woe is me if I don't preach the gospel. It simply means to announce or to proclaim or to declare or to make known. We are to be verbal bearers of the good news of the gospel. Paul in Romans says, How beautiful are the feet of those who preach good news. The point simply being the primary means through which God has ordained the gospel go forth into the world to our families, to our neighbors, to those we go to school with, to to those we work with, is through a verbal declaration announcing or declaring the good news of the gospel. Sometimes there has been a false dichotomy created where really what we're supposed to do is just live the gospel, and if you have an opportunity in your life, then preach the gospel. I I don't think that's the right way to think of it. We are to live the gospel, but we are not to live the gospel silently. It is to be declared and it is to be announced. And so this is what Jesus did. He came with a very clear message then. He had a simple method, which was preaching, and he had a very clear message, which was the gospel of God. That is the good news of God. That means God was its source. The gospel comes from God. It is his message. It is his word. It is God's declaration of what we need and how it comes to us. The gospel is about Jesus, but the gospel is God's. It comes from him. And the gospel is good news about Jesus from God. Paul talks about being set apart to preach and declare the gospel of God. It matters that we settle this in our head. Let me give you a couple of reasons why it matters. The gospel has its source in God. It comes from God. It is not a human invention. In other words, it's not for us to change. It's not for us to mess around with. It's not for us to soften. It's not for us to make more harsh than it is. It is the gospel from God, and we are to declare the truth of God. It's a temptation that easily comes into a church and into our hearts. Paul says, writing to the Galatians, I'm astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. You know there's different gospels out there, right? I just mentioned a different gospel as I started this morning. The gospel that says we are saved by our works. We are saved by, by, uh, by, our, by, the, by the life that we live. That's a different gospel. That is the, not the gospel that comes from God. He goes on to say, But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. This is God's word. This is God's good news. This is God's announcement. And again, it's not something that comes from humankind. We would never devise this. We would never devise this way of leaving our sins and of leaving our darkness and of of leaving the things that oppress us and constrain us. We would devise all different means of how we could be right with God. But God says, no, this is my word. 
and it comes from me. Paul says in one place, for I would have you know, brothers, that the gospel that was preached by me is not man's gospel. This is God's word, and we have to believe it, we have to know it, we have to own it, and we have to declare it and it alone. And it's a simple message. The gospel is a very simple message. It's the good news that is proclaimed of a provision of salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. It's the good news that God forgives sinners and takes them into his everlasting kingdom when they repent of their sins and believe in Jesus Christ. That's the gospel. The good news of forgiveness that comes to us through repentance and belief in Jesus Christ. That comes from God. It is God's message for us. It is God's hope to us. It is the means through which we are saved. And Jesus says a couple things about it, or, or John goes on and says, well, Jesus said it, the time is fulfilled. What's Jesus talking about when he says the time is fulfilled? Well, he's saying this is the right time now for God's good news to be broadcast to mankind. It had been restricted to the people of Israel largely. But now with the coming of Jesus, God says, now is the time for my message to be taken to every corner of the earth. This isn't a chronological clock so much as it is salvation time or redemption time. This is the time in the plan of God when God planned salvation before the foundation of the world and he worked it out over thousands of years, it was this time when Jesus was born, when he was baptized, when he went into the wilderness, was tempted, and he comes back and he begins his ministry. That is the time of the gospel of God to be proclaimed around the world. All the prophecies of the Old Testament, all the promises of the Old Testament concerning a Messiah, concerning a Redeemer, concerning an everlasting kingdom, all coalesced in the ministry of Jesus Christ. This is the time when the gospel of God exploded on the stage of human history. It's the, a wonderful event in human history which declared the arrival of God our Savior, who would live a perfect life, who would die in our place on a cross, paying the penalty for our sin and providing salvation for all who would look to him and repent of their sins and believe in Jesus Christ. This was a definitive moment in human history. This was a definitive time in the human clock. This is a significant hour. The time is fulfilled. God says now, in the plan of redemption, now is the time when it explodes into human life. The coming of Christ was at just the right time. Just as the death of Christ was at just the right time. When God had brought together by his predetermined plan and by his foreknowledge all those who would contribute to putting Jesus to death. It was all according to God's plan. And so at right, just the right time, it says Jesus came and the kingdom of God, saying the kingdom of God is at hand. That, loved ones, is at the core of Jesus' message. Do you know that? The kingdom of God. 
This is the sum of all of Jesus' teaching, is the kingdom of God. This long-awaited kingdom has now made its entrance into history in the arrival of the king, King Jesus. All the prophecies in the Old Testament that speak about an everlasting kingdom that would enter into human history are all now fulfilled in the entrance of Jesus into the world. The gospel is the gospel of a new kingdom. The Sermon on the Mount describes the ethics of that kingdom. The Lord's Prayer describes the prayer of the kingdom. The parables illustrate the mystery of this kingdom. The church is given the keys to this kingdom. The kingdom is that God has now come to earth. So what is the kingdom? Have you thought that through? What is the kingdom of God? If somebody asked you, if your son or daughter came to you and said, what's the kingdom of God? Mom? How, how would you answer them? Well, most Jews at this time were looking for a physical king and a geographical kingdom. The Jews had been ruled for hundreds of years, first by the Babylonians, then by the Persians, then by the Greeks, and currently in Jesus' time by the Romans. And they were looking for a Messiah or a king who would come and give them freedom from Roman rule. They wanted to be brought out from under the oppression and under the rule and the tyranny of Rome. But that's not the kind of kingdom that Jesus is proclaiming. Remember, Jesus said when Pilate was questioning him, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would be fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews. But my kingdom is not from this world. So what is his kingdom then? Well, first of all, the kingdom is about a king. And so where the king is, there is the kingdom. And Jesus is the king in the kingdom of God. And so when Jesus enters into human history, that means the kingdom of God is now in human history. When Jesus says, I'm here, we understand also that the kingdom is here. And we understand the kingdom two ways. We understand it spiritually. And I'll explain this in a moment. But first, the kingdom of God is a spiritual reality, not a geographic reality. It's something that takes place in a human heart and in a human life, not in, in, in a province or in a country or in a kingdom that's geographical. But it will become physical at the end of this age. When at the end of this age, Christ comes back in all his glory and all his might and establishes the new heaven and a new earth, which is his eternal kingdom. Let me help you think about it a different way then. Let me put the kingdom of God against the backdrop of the kingdom of Satan. There is another kingdom in this world, and it is the kingdom of Satan. Jesus acknowledged as much when he said, if Satan drives out Satan, he is divided against himself. How then will his kingdom stand? Have you ever thought through this reality? Satan has a kingdom. John describes the breadth of that kingdom in 1 John chapter 5, verse 19, where he says, the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. He has global reign and global rule. And the kingdom of God is set against the kingdom of Satan. 
You remember that when one of the temptations of Satan, when he came to Jesus, it says the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in their glory. And he said to him, all of these I will give you. How could he give them to him? Because this world is under his sway and under his control. He says, all of these I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. So again, what is Satan's kingdom then? It is a spiritual kingdom. It is a kingdom of darkness. It is a kingdom of oppression. It is a kingdom of captivity. And those in his kingdom are held captive by sin. They're in darkness because they haven't seen the light of Jesus Christ. They are under the curse of death. They're in the devil's grip. And in contrast with the kingdom of Satan is the kingdom of God, which comes to free us from his grip, comes to deliver us from his darkness and bring us into the light of God, comes to free us from our captivity, to release us from the curse of death. Jesus said in, or one John said, the people dwelling in darkness have seen a great light. It wasn't that they sat in a dark room somewhere or that the sun hadn't uh, shone for a long time. It was dwelling in spiritual darkness. Their eyes were blinded. They could not see their need. They could not see the way out of their circumstances. And when Jesus comes into the world, all of a sudden the light of the glory of God shines. And people see that there is hope. Jesus said in another place, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor, to those who are oppressed, to those who are pushed down, to those who are taken advantage of. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives. Whose captives? Those who are held captive by Satan. And the opening of the prison to those who are bound to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. It's like the kingdom of God comes in and begins to shatter the prison of Satan. Paul was chosen to go to the Gentiles in order to open their eyes so that they might turn from darkness to light, from the power of Satan to God, that they might receive the forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith. That was what the gospel of God did through the lips of Paul. It brought about release. It brought about freedom. It brought about deliverance. It brought about the forgiveness of sins because people could look to Jesus Christ who had defeated the evil one. And Jesus is the king of this kingdom. When he came the first time, in the, in the first, uh, when he was born and in his ministry, his kingship wasn't recognized by everyone. It wasn't seen by everyone. They had to be delivered from the, uh, the kingdom of Satan. They had to have their eyes open. But at the end of the age, when Jesus comes back, it says, we will see him in all his might and in all his glory. And you can read in Revelation chapter 19 how he comes riding in a, on a white horse with the armies of heaven with him. And he's called the word of God and he's arrayed in fine linen and white and pure. And from his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations and he will rule them with a rod of iron. When Jesus comes the second time, 
the spiritual reality will be made clear physically. And what a kingdom it will be and what a king we will see. Mark tells us in chapter 13, in the days uh, after the tribulation, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light. The stars will be falling from heaven and the powers in the heavens will be shaken. And then they will see the Son of Man coming in the clouds with great power and glory. What a day that will be. What a day that will be when we see our King in all his glory, in all his might. But that is the spiritual reality now, though, that we also experience. So as we come back to this text, what Jesus is proclaiming is he's saying, now the kingdom of God has burst into human history. John tells us that Jesus has come to destroy the works of the devil. Do you know that? Jesus has come to destroy the devil's grip. He has come to destroy the devil's hold. He has come to give us release and freedom. I was thinking about this. You read the book of Mark, any of the Gospels, and what you see is this significant increase in demonic activity. What explains that? It's not that there's no demonic activity today or demonic oppression today. There is. There's a great deal of it. But for the three years of Jesus' ministry, demonic activity, you read again and again and again, people brought to him all who were demon-possessed, people brought to him all who were oppressed by the devil. And Jesus casts out the devil again and again and again. What's going on? There's a battle. The kingdom of God is now hammering the kingdom of darkness. The kingdom of God is now shattering the power of darkness and its hold on individuals' life. And what about the number of healings? Why so many healings again and again? They brought all to God who were sick, all to God who were blind, all to God who were lepers, all to God who had all, or to Jesus, who had various kinds of diseases. And it said he touched them and he made all of them whole. Loved ones, that is a glimpse of the coming reality of the fullness of the kingdom of God. This was, a, this was a marker that the kingdom of God has burst in. Why? Because he's making the sick whole again. Why? Because that's looking ahead to the day when all the sick will be made whole. And why do we pray for the sick today? Because we pray, oh God, would you manifest the power of your kingdom in their heart and in their life today so that we can get a glimpse of your kingdom at work today. Loved ones, God still heals today. God still releases from demonic oppression today. His kingdom has burst onto the scene of humankind. You ever think about the global influence of Satan? And I hope this is tying together for you. Again, we know that the whole, we know that we are from God, John says, and the whole word lies in the power of the evil one. famous preacher writes, John wastes no word and blurs no issues. The uncompromising alternative is stated boldly. Everyone belongs either to us or to the world. Everyone is therefore either of God or under control of the evil one. 
There is no third category. There is no third or fourth kingdom. In other words, there is no middle kingdom. There is no spiritual Switzerland. There is no place of neutrality. You are either in the kingdom of God or you are in the kingdom of Satan. There are no other realms in this world in which we live. And it's so crucial that we shatter this illusion of neutrality. We shatter this illusion that good people who are neither for God nor for Satan are neither in the kingdom of God nor in Satan's kingdom. You are in one or the other, whether you're good or evil. You are in one kingdom or the other. I'd encourage you, if you have time today, to read Mark 13. Mark 13 is one of the most simple descriptions of our world. Our world is likened to a field. And there is wheat sown in that field, and there are weeds sown in that field. Only two things. And the wheat is the sons of God, and the weeds are the sons of the evil one. There is no third thing sown in the field. So in the world, there are two peoples. Those in the kingdom of God and those in the kingdom of Satan. Paul writes, and this is true of everyone who has come to faith in Jesus Christ or come to salvation through Jesus Christ. Paul writes, in their case, or no, and you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of air, that spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. Before we became a Christian, if you are a Christian, you were held in the grip and the sway of Satan. Paul writes in another place, in their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers. Why? To keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. It matters, loved ones, that we think in binary terms, that our worldview is a binary worldview. The fact is all people, male and female, young and old, belong to either one of those two kingdoms, the kingdom of darkness or the kingdom of light. If you are not in Christ, you are under the power of Satan. Even if you have no visible sensible awareness of the darkness you are in, to not serve God is to serve Satan, whether you are aware of it or not. Don't rush over that preposition in. The whole world lies in the power or under the influence of the evil one. What this is saying, that if you're not in Christ, your everyday life is influenced by his control. Your everyday world is under his sway or under his control. It says the whole world. And as I think about the whole world, and I have been thinking about this quite a lot for the last six or eight or ten months. The whole world, that includes finance. That includes politics. That includes education. That includes sports. That includes stock markets. That includes agriculture. That includes entertainment. That includes the internet. That includes the family. I could go through every one of those and describe to you how I see the hand of Satan at work controlling those areas. The whole world. 
is under the sway of the evil one. This, loved ones, is why the proclamation of the gospel from God is so critical. This is why we need to know that there is a way out of this darkness. There is a way out of this bondage. There is a way out of this captivity. And Jesus tells us that way. Repent and believe in the gospel. No, don't I have to do something? What, What must I do? Repent and believe in the gospel. Well, no, but, but I, can, I can do a lot for the church, and, you know, I can do a lot for missions, and I, I, there's a lot that I... No, repent and believe in the gospel. Repent means you turn away from something. What do you turn away from? You turn away from confidence in yourself. You turn away from confidence in your works. You turn away from your sinful behaviors. You turn away from your sinful proclivities. You say to yourself, I cannot do this any longer. I will not do this any longer. I repent of them, God. I am sorry for my disobedience. I'm sorry for my rebellion. Help me. And so repentance is turning away from something. Belief is turning toward something. And what do you turn toward? Jesus Christ. You repent of your sins and you turn to Jesus Christ. Jesus, free me. Jesus, release me. Jesus, help me. Because I'm in darkness. But I see glimmers of the light. You've shown me glimmers. Free me. Take me out of the grip of Satan and put me into the marvelous kingdom of light, your heavenly Father. It's as simple as that. Repent and believe in the gospel and you will go from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light and what a difference a kingdom makes. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for the simplicity of the gospel. I thank you for the simplicity of the method Father, would you help us learn more and more to be like Paul who said, I am not ashamed of the gospel for it is the power of God unto salvation for the Jew and then for the Gentile. There is no other way to get back into a relationship with you, Father, but through the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ and the forgiveness of our sins that is found in him. Father, it almost can seem too good to be true. It can almost seem too easy. But Father, if there's any here this morning that are maybe seeing glimmers of light, quiet the voice of Satan who says, but you need to do this and you need to do that. And may the gospel blare into their ears. Look to Jesus and you'll be saved. Thank you, Father, for your love. Thank you for your gospel. In Christ's name we pray, amen.